0: Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, it's over. The Mueller investigation is over. 675 days later, the Mueller report has been submitted to the Attorney General, William Barr, who is who is reviewing it, and put out a summary. We have not seen the full Mueller report yet. We've only seen Bill Barr's four-page interpretation and summation of the Mueller report, which in my opinion, and the opinion of most people who aren't Trump supporters, that that's not sufficient. We need to see the entire Mueller report. So the bulk of today's podcast is going to talk about that. Obviously, it is big news. People have been waiting for two years for this report. And um, I decided to bring on two brilliant legal minds to talk about that, to delve into some of the legality of the bar letter, um, some of the questions, some of the things that have not been answered, what has been answered. So stay tuned for that. Um, Ellie Honig, who is a former Southern District of New York prosecutor and current CNN legal analyst, Ellie is going to join me and another colleague of his um at the southern district Mimi Roca she is an MSNBC legal analyst and she spent 16 years as a federal prosecutor over at the southern district of New York so they are both really great uh, representatives of the best of the best from the southern district and they've been delving into this. They know all about uh, the players and um, have some good legal analysis, what to make of of all of this thus far. So stay tuned for my interviews with both of them. They're very interesting folks. Um, Ellie is also a fellow Jerseyan. So um, we bond over that. And uh, Mimi, she is just a a kick ass lawyer. Um, She not only was she a federal prosecutor for 16 years in the Southern District, but she was also the head of the organized crime and racketeering unit and the narcotics unit. So she prosecuted some bad dudes. Um, And Ellie also, um, he also prosecuted a lot of mafia guys. So Stay tuned for those interviews. They are interesting. We break down the bar letter, um, the, some of what it means, what it doesn't, some of the language, and how to you know what's what's next. Because I know a lot of people are like, "What? Well, what happens now? Is it over? Is Trump exonerated?" So we'll talk about that. But before um, I get into those two interviews, a um, couple of my thoughts and some things. So, how do I feel about the fact that the Mueller investigation? is over and we have some, just a small piece of insight into what he investigated and what he found. Well, first of all, um, I have mixed feelings. There's a part of me that was like, there had to be Russian collusion. Look at, look at all of the circumstantial evidence. There was a shit ton of smoke. So I'm like, how is he, comp- he is he exonerated from the Russian collusion part? I just don't get it. Um, But there's another part of me that's relieved that, well, at least the president of the United States is not a freaking agent of Russia, which the sad part is that there was a possibility that he was, you know, I mean, that's unprecedented. Um, The fact that we were in here, but that what didn't happen in a vacuum. There were so many things that are still open questions until we see the entire Mueller report. It has not been released yet, and I suspect that the Trump administration is going to slow walk this as much as they possibly can, because Bob Mueller is an honorable guy. Apparently, the president now believes that. By the way, um, if you saw, he is his comments about that. He was asked, "Is Trump? Is Mueller, do you think Mueller is honorable?" And he was like, "Yes, yes, he yes, he is." Oh, oh, really? That's not what he said about Bob Mueller for the last year and a half. He's gone. He's called him a disgrace. He's talked about it's a witch hunt. I mean, he's gone after, you know, 17 angry Democrats. He's conflicted and this is an illegal investigation. I mean, Trump has said all kinds of crazy shit about Bob Mueller that was completely inaccurate. Just a way to try to attack this attack his character. Bob Mueller's integrity is impeccable. And the Republicans who supported Mueller in the beginning, then started to morph into, you know, many Trumpites and, and jumping on the Trump train, attacking him and in the investigation and its integrity, they knew better. They were just making a political calculation that they needed to attack Mueller like Trump did for political survival. So everybody knows that Mueller's, in, you know, a man of character. So I will believe what Mueller's findings are um, when I can see them. As of right now, I still haven't seen them. Bill Barr is a political appointee. He's also the guy that's the attorney general now who replaced Jeff Sessions. Well, first it was Matt Whitaker. Remember that guy completely unqualified to be the attorney general, just placed there as a as a placeholder until they found someone else who could be um <laughs> who could protect Trump. Let's just be honest about that. Um and then Bill Barr was nominated and confirmed. But the curious thing about Bill Barr is, well, he was attorney general before under George H.W. Bush. So he at least is qualified for the job. But where has he been for the last 25 years and why did he decide to write a 19 page memo last summer, basically criticizing Bob Mueller's, Robert Mueller's obstruction of justice mandate? calling it asinine and used very uh, questionable legal, legal logic about whether the president of the United States could be found, could, could obstruct justice in his official capacity. I talk about that with um, Ellie and with Mimi coming up in more detail, but <clears throat> the guy basically wrote an audition memo and he sent it unsolicited, he claims, to the Department of Justice. Like, here are my thoughts on this. Don't tell me that wasn't a damn audition to be AG under Trump. Of course it was. So don't tell me that Trump didn't, that didn't catch Trump's attention. He's like, oh yeah, I want that guy. So he's going to protect me when it comes down to an obstruction interpretation, whether to charge me or not after the Mueller report. Yeah, let's get him. So you have to be mindful of that context when you read the Barr letter and when you hear about this. Was Donald Trump... Fully exonerated? No, he was not. Hear me clearly. There are two parts to this: the Russia collusion part. Okay, that was pretty, pretty um uh, um direct, pretty clear. Mueller said in uh, the letter that Barr uh, wrote, he does quote a couple of things from the Mueller report, very very briefly. But one of the things that it seems to be pretty clear is that Mueller did not find any criminal, he did not find any evidence for criminal conspiracy because collusion is not a legal term. Criminal conspiracy is. And Ellie Honig um, explains what the difference is uh, in a little bit. But in, in the bar letter, it says, the evidence does not establish that the president was involved in an underlying crime related to Russian election interference. All right, so that's a good thing for Donald Trump. That's why they're spiking the football. That's why everyone's saying he's in no collusion, no nothing. I'm completely exonerated. Pump the brakes. You're not completely exonerated, buddy. Because in the same letter, which is just the summation of the Mueller report, on the part, on the issue of obstruction, it says that the let me find it right here. I have it. Ah, the special counsel states that while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. That is a direct quote from the Mueller report. So that clearly there, there was an interesting set of facts there that we have yet to see that led Bob Mueller to believe that it could have gone either way. And he probably intended for the Congress to make that determination. So there's still a lot of questions. Neil Katyal, who was the um, Solicitor General, I think, under Obama, um, he also worked at the Department of Justice, and he wrote the Special Counsel Rules and Regulations. And he put out a piece in the New York Times where he said, look, there's a lot of problems with the bar letter. And he said one of the things that he, when he wrote those regulations for the Special Counsel, dictating what they do and how the report should be handled It was the idea was for for the for transparency so that the American people can see the investigation, what was found, obviously without sources and methods being released. But so the American people could see and make a determination what happened in the investigation. You know, a special counsel is a big deal. So unless the full Mueller report is released, you're not getting that. So we need to be skeptical This spiking the football, claiming that Trump is fully exonerated is just political spin. He's off the hook for collusion. Well, let me stick, let me take that back. He's off the hook for criminal conspiracy. I, you know, the collusion part, how, like, how close did we come? How close? Because I got to tell you, I want to remind people that Donald Trump has not acted in good faith on a lot of things. I mean, what he has done publicly is enough to to be concerned in and of itself, right? Walter Shab, who was the ethics attorney under Obama. he also is part of a group called C- Crew. And they're basically it's a bipartisan group of ethics attorneys that have been investigating Trump. And and I mean, they've been doing this for not just this administration, but others. <clears throat> but they've been busy with the Trump administration because there's a whole lot of shit that's not right. And so they um, Walter Schaub had an excellent thread kind of reminding people mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, pe- some wind may be out of the sails for people on the mother report who thought that was going to get Trump kicked out of office. Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about it too. I'm like, Oh God, now we're going to listen to these freaking MAGA people bragging about how it was a witch hunt. It was a waste of time. And Trump is innocent. And it was just, you know, just trying to overturn an election. I mean, Trump has already started this and his, his people are incorrigible anyway. So there is a part of me that's like, Oh, now we have to listen to these people because they're uninterested in actual facts or nuances about what's going on. They're very myopic. No, no, no indictment. That means he's innocent. Not so fast. Just because he didn't. I mean, I use the example um, of OJ and R. Kelly. Does anybody think that they're completely innocent? No. Okay. But they were acquitted. So there's different standards. There's a criminal standard and there's a political standard, you know, so hold your horses, folks. I wouldn't exactly, you don't see too many people running around defending OJ Simpson. So, um, but anyway, I digress. So I was like, I mean, it's good for the country, like I said, that the president wasn't necessarily involved in a criminal conspiracy to win an election with our with the help of our foreign enemy, but he's done some questionable things. And Walter Schaub on his Twitter feed does an excellent job of reminding us and laying it out. And I'm just gonna read a little bit from his thread as a reminder. Because I think it's important and these are facts. Trump is not off the hook. There's still questions to be answered and the Democrats have oversight capacity. Now they need to be careful that they don't overreach or look like sore losers. You know, until we see the full Mueller report, um, you know, we need to be careful, but they still shouldn't abscond, you know, their, their oversight capacity. Cause there's still a lot of questions going on. And Trump still has a lot of, he's a lot of criminal exposure potentially, in other areas. Southern district of New York, the state of New York, they're looking at all kinds of stuff. The Trump organization is under investigation. The Trump Inaugural Committee is under investigation. The Trump's financial dealings um, with the Trump organization and insurance fraud and all those kinds of things are being looked at. I mean there's campaign vi- violations going on. There's still investigations going on. So this is just one piece. I mean he can breathe a sigh of relief about a sigh of relief about the the campaign conspiracy and obstruction stuff. But there's still a lot going on here. Will he be indicted as president? No. But if he loses, who knows what happens in 2021. But Walter Schaub's thread, which I think is important. <clears throat> he said, with Barr having delivered a bare bones summary of the Mueller report to Congress, let's remember that we already what we already knew about Trump is so terrible that any other president would have been impeached or removed from office. I agree. He goes on, Trump, let's remember, Trump directed his attorney to commit criminal campaign finance violations for which that attorney has been sentenced to jail. That's Michael Cohen. Likely as part of an apparent cover up of that criminality, Trump omitted his debt to Cohen for the hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels from his financial disclosure report. That's a crime if done knowingly and willfully. And who really doubts that it was? His, his attorney asked that he be excused from signing the certification in that financial disclosure report in which he was required to attest that it was true. Trump's inaugural committee is under investigation for possibly accepting money from foreign actors <clears throat> like Russia, possibly giving favors in exchange for that money, possible false statements, and likely allowing the Trump organization to overcharge for services so Trump could pocket the money. The New York Times dropped a bombshell at accusing Trump of participating in a tax fraud scheme. Trump fired both the FBI director and the attorney general for allowing him to be investigated. He goes on. Trump has called for yet another investigation of his vanquished political rival Hillary Clinton expressly as a misdirected act of revenge for the special counsel investigation. He pressured the Postmaster General to retaliate against Amazon as an act of revenge against Jeff Bezos. See, there's been so much shit going on that we forget about these things. These are things Trump has done in plain sight. More, Trump called for the DOJ to block the AT&T and Time Warner merger as an act of revenge against CNN. In fact, the DOJ did try to block that merger without offering the public satisfactory evidence to show that Trump's demand didn't influence its action. It's gone through, by the way, but that's important. What the hell is the president of the United States getting involved in those kinds of things? That's ridiculous. More. Trump's campaign manager, that's Paul Manafort, a top campaign aide, Michael Flynn, his security advisor, and one of his foreign affairs advisors have all pled guilty to crimes. Those things were uncovered as a result of the Mueller investigation, let's not forget. They may not be related to the Russia collusion and obstruction directly, but they were ancillary things that were found out as a result of this, of the Mueller investigation. Let's remind people, 215 charge, criminal charges, 38 indictments, five people are going to prison as of today, thanks to the Mueller investigation. They're not directly involved with the Russia collusion part, but they, this criminal web was uncovered, okay? There was a web of criminality uncovered by people who Donald Trump surrounded himself with. Manafort, Cohen, Bill um, Bill Gates, not Bill Gates, (laughs) Rick Gates, deputy campaign manager, by the way. Michael Flynn, national security advisor. Roger Stone. I mean, come on. You know, Trump hangs out with a bunch of shady characters, apparently. You are who you hang with. Remember that? More. Uh, Trump called for Russia to obtain and release his rival's emails shortly before they did. He dictated a false account of a meeting between his son and Russian operatives in his building. Remember that? Donald Trump during the 2016 election. Hey, Russia, if you can hear me, find Hillary Clinton's 30,000 deleted emails. What the hell? And then we found out from our intelligence uh, community that they tried to do that. And they were able to hack into Hillary Clinton's emails and her campaign emails and the DNC successfully. And they leaked it out through WikiLeaks. That's a freaking problem. And then remember the whole Trump Tower meeting, Donald Trump, when when it was exposed by the New York Times, Donald Trump dictated this bullshit statement to try to cover it up that it was about Russian adoptions. And then we got copies of the emails and found out, no, in fact, the, the intent was they were going to get dirt from Hillary Clinton from the Russians. Well, there's still a lot of questions around that, the Trump Tower meeting, but The Mueller report, maybe we'll find out why they felt that that didn't rise to a criminal level. I mean, I don't get why not, but we won't know until we see the Mueller report. But we do know that Trump dictated a bullshit statement that is true in the public sphere. After years of working with a campaign that had featured lock her up as a recruiting refrain, remember that lock her up constantly about Hillary Clinton and her damn emails. Jared Kushner is found out to be illegally using WhatsApp to communicate with foreign actors outside the view of U.S. authorities. This has come out recently. Jared Kushner was freaking using an unsecured app, WhatsApp to chat with MBS over in Saudi Arabia and, con- and conduct God knows what other kind of foreign policy under the table. He's gone. He's taken trips over there without the intelligence community's knowledge ahead of time. What the fuck is Jared Kushner doing? Doing this? You've got to be kidding me! Unacceptable. This is way worse. Hillary Clinton conducting business on an unsecured server. Yes, that posed a problem, and it was it was potentially um, a national security risk. But I'm sorry, you can't cha- you can't chant lock her up years later, okay? and not think and and then look at what Jared Kushner has been found out to do he's admitted to using his personal freaking iPhone and these unsecured apps to conduct these kinds of of conversations overseas and by the way Donald Trump still uses an unsecured phone remember when everybody freaked out because Barack Obama was using his Blackberry and they finally had to give him some kind of secured Blackberry to use this is again way worse where are the national security Republicans on this why aren't they screaming lock him up because of what Jared Kushner's been doing. Remember, he also tried, it was reported during the transition that he was trying to establish um, back channels to Russia to communicate with them, to circumvent the national security apparatus. I mean, come on. Again, these are things that were in plain view. Ivanka Trump also continues to violate federal records laws. Not this. Not that this has stopped Trump from leading cheers of lock her up. To still talking about Hillary Clinton. Again, I'm still reading from Walter Schaub's um, Twitter feed listing these things, this thread. It was phenomenal. I just thought it was a good summation of some of the things that Trump has done that we know of. This is outside the Mueller report. Trump has committed nepotism in the White House and has put national security at risk by interceding in the denial of security clearances for his daughter and son-in-law. Remember that? Feels like ages ago. But Jared Kushner was initially denied a security clearance. The security investigators that that do these things, they said, no freaking way should this guy get a security clearance. He's conflicted six ways from Sunday financial problems, all kinds of things that usually most people would never get a security clearance. I mean, Trump wouldn't qualify for security clearance if he wasn't president. My husband's gone through the security clearance process. Believe me, they go back to like high school. If you forget to tell them a a parking ticket, they ask you about it. Jared Kushner omitted over a hundred meetings and contacts with foreign foreign um, people, And had to amend his security clearance application dozens of times. You've got to be freaking kidding me. And so what happened? Trump intervened because he can as president and said, I don't care. Give him a security clearance. What? Could you imagine if Hillary Clinton did a fraction of this shit or Obama did? Give me a break. There is reason to suspect that the conflicts of interest of the Trump and Kushner families may be influencing government policies, ranging from the cover-up and non-response to the Jamal Khashoggi merger, murder, foot-dragging on Russia sanctions and efforts to lift sanctions on individuals connected to the Russian government, the blockade of Qatar, canceling the move of the FBI headquarters, etc. Trump has monetized the presidency. Oh, let me just say something about that. So Trump, ta- the new Trump Hotel in D.C., for those who don't live in the D.C. area, it's beautiful. It's where the old post office pavilion um, used to be. It's a historical site on Pennsylvania Avenue. Directly across the street is, well, not a little, just like a block over, um, is the FBI headquarters. It's a huge property in a prime location in downtown DC. Now, the FBI headquarters have been Pretty much vacated. They they've moved a lot of their central operations to other places, and they've been trying to figure out what the hell to do with this building for years. It's huge. Many of you may have visited there when you went on trips to D.C. I know when I was a kid, we got to go to the FBI headquarters and we saw like the lab and they were working on this. Um, When I was there, I can remember I was like thirteen. They were they had like a bloody jacket. And it had bullet holes or something in it. And you could watch like what they were doing in the lab It was really cool. But anyway, so they've moved a lot of these operations to other places. And there was rumor that another real estate uh, company was going to come in and build a luxury hotel on that site. Well, Trump intervened because he doesn't want any competition. What the hell? You're president. Your, your, your focus should be on being president, not your freaking business. So yeah, that's another very underreported story, but I'm sharing it with you because Walter Shop reminded me. Um, there's been suspicions of money laundering activity before Trump came into the federal government, which warrants investigation. While some have said that business activity before becoming uh it, 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 president is off limits, they seem to be conveniently forgetting that the Whitewater investigation into the Clintons, which was a bigger, costlier, and longer special counsel investigation, that was actually an independent counsel, um, was about business activities before they came into office. Yep. Whitewater started off about land deals. It ended up impeachment over lying about a sexual affair with Monica Lewinsky. He has told over 8,000 documented lies or misleading statements to the American people. He's put children in cages and made no effort to track their family affiliation so they could be returned safely, letting his administration speak instead of deterrence. We all know about what that's about. And he said, that's not even everything, but it makes the point that the Mueller report is just a drop in the bucket. Yep. And I think that's important for people to understand. Now, I want to say something else too. In plain sight, some other things Trump has done that people need to be reminded of. All of his attacks on Jeff Sessions when he was attorney general, because Jeff Sessions made the decision to recuse himself rightfully from the Russian investigation. His refusal to accept Russian, the fact that the Russians interfered in the election. That is huge. You know, Donald Trump still remember Helsinki. That was a travesty. It was horrifying to watch where Donald Trump basically pledged fealty to to Vladimir Putin on the world stage, saying that he trusted Putin's word that he wasn't involved in the election interference, even though our intelligence community, our intelligence services, unequivocally said Russia did this. Why? Why, why, why? That was a disgrace. And Trump has still, not done anything to secure our upcoming elections they've resisted these efforts and even with the Mueller report acknowledging they did acknowledge that yes the Russians interfered in our elections and they try to sow discord in our electoral system um we've this is unequivocal again it's clear but Trump refuses to acknowledge that because he thinks that somehow that discredits his election uh all the witch hunt tweets I, you know, I, I went into this list of things that he's done in plain sight. He asked for Russian help to find Hillary's emails. Remember that? I just mentioned that before. The interview with um, NBC News, when he talked about firing Comey and firing Comey, that was another thing. But he said, oh, uh, you know, I had that Russia thing. It was, you know, I got that off my back. What? His response to uh, pushing out Jeff Sessions. He basically fired Jeff Sessions finally because he wasn't doing his bidding. And then he puts in Matt Whitaker, this dolt, this guy who was running around doing God knows what, uh, trying to audition another one to get a job with the Trump administration, blasting the Mueller investigation on air, on CNN for a little while. He was uh, involved in some kind of shady dealing with, um, uh, with people with patents and things completely unqualified to be the attorney general again he was a patsy he was there to for, for cover for trump with the whole Mueller investigation so like why why all of the lies why all the cover-up why that's the question i don't understand that has yet to be answered which i really hope the full Mueller report will give some context to because it's just not the behavior of innocent people it's just not so i don't know there's um there's still a lot of questions to be answered. And <clears throat> I hope that we get some some context for them. But I just wanted to remind people because I know there's a lot of <laughs> demoralized anti-Trump people out there that are like, oh, "Man, and you know, it's hard because you feel like you're rooting against the United States because you wanted to see something <laughs> come out of this Mueller report, but I'm conflicted about it, you know? I'm not rooting against the country. I just I mean, I believe that Trump is bad for the country, obviously but um, but he's still not a good guy and he's not fully exonerated from all of these other things that may not be criminal, but they're sure as hell questionable and not becoming of the president of the United States. And I tell you what, he's so impeachment is probably off the table at this point. So Democrats need to get their shit together and beat Donald Trump fair and square in an election. Uh, Frank Luntz, who is a pollster. He's a Republican, but he he's a really good pollster. And he put out a reminder that the top, the, the top issues for voters in 2018, that the Mueller investigation didn't even rank in the top three or four for voters in 2018 overall. And the, so that is a message that, hey, Democrats, if you guys think you're going to have a chance of beating Trump, it's not gonna, don't, you can't hang your hats on the Mueller investigation. That's not what motivated people to go to the polls in 2018. The top four issues in order were healthcare, 49 percent; immigration, 35 percent; the economy, 34 percent; government corruption and ethics, 30 percent. That was overall voters. The Russia investigation ranked sixth among de- among Democrats and tenth among 2018 voters overall. Now, if people voted in a midterm election, which usually historically has low turnout, they're definitely gonna vote in 2020 for a presidential election. So those are the issues that people are concerned about. So people want a government that functions. They don't want this tabloid presidency that's been plaguing our country since Donald Trump stepped on the scene. People just don't want that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, I would, like, I, I would like Republicans to have enough of this nonsense and chaos with Trump and have a good Republican run against him. But it doesn't look likely at this point. So everyone knows that I'm rooting for Joe Biden because <laughs> I still think he's the only one that can beat Trump. But I'll tell you what, this Pete Buttigieg, this South Bend, um, Indiana mayor, I'm impressed by this guy. I really am. He speaks like six languages. He makes sense when he talks. He he's 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 interesting. He's an interesting guy. I don't know that he's ready to be president, but he's certainly more practical and pragmatic and reasonable in my estimation as a conservative Republican um, than a lot of these other people who've already declared. Um, But I do. I think he's going to win win the primary. Probably not. But I just think he's interesting. I think he's, uh, he's an interesting counterbalance to some of the more left-wing extremist policies that some of the others are leaning towards. So he's interesting to me. Um, anyway, but I still like Joe Biden. So, oh, I want to say a couple of, one other thing. (laughs) So, well, before I get to the Avenatti thing, um, I just want to say something quickly about what's happening in Israel. So um, most of you know, if you listen to me on a regular basis, that I did visit Israel uh, back in December and um, I do support the efforts of APAC and their educational uh, trips and workshops. The big APAC conference was over the weekend I attended and I do support Israel. I support their right to exist. I support their right to defend themselves. A lot of what you hear about Israel is not, it's, well, <clears throat> you don't get the full story. And most of the, any, um, uh, what they see as Israeli aggression is defensive. Israel is constantly defending its right to exist. They are surrounded by enemies. You have Hezbollah to the North, you have Hamas to the South, and they're constantly in a security posture defensively. And the Israeli defense forces they don't go out and just decide to bomb people for no reason. It's usually in response to the aggression of, uh, what's happening from Hamas or Hezbollah. And when I, while I was there and, and well, you probably heard um, earlier this week that, uh, Hamas was launching rockets into Israel again. I mean, this happens a lot. Um, but they, you know, they, they destroyed a house. They had a homemade rocket that traveled 75 miles into central Israel. And if you are ever interested the Israeli defense forces have a Twitter feed and you can see the video and you can see what actually goes on um, with the attacks from Gaza and other places. You can hear the air raid sirens. When I was down there, we visited a kibbutz, which is a community. The the Israelis, they have these, they're like communal communities, um, very peaceful. And they, some of them are along the border with Gaza, very close and the one that we visited, they have six minutes. It's six, it takes six minutes for a rocket to, to, to launch and land. So a lot of times, in some places it's closer, in less time. They have bomb shelters every 50 yards. The bomb shelters are painted like school bus stops. So they they have like, you know, kids' paintings and things to try to make them less militaristic. But could you imagine living in your subdivision and every 50 yards, you have a bomb shelter because you have not a lot of time. Sometimes it's it's, uh, a matter of 15 or 20 seconds to seek shelter after a siren goes off, depending on how close you are. Imagine that. So... People need to be careful when they judge what Israel does. Now, um, there is also this proclamation of um, President Trump, which I happen to agree with. And I agree with his Israeli policy. And <clears throat> the Golan Heights. I also was at the uh, visited the Golan Heights. I was standing inside of a bombed-out former Syrian Army headquarters that is now in the Israeli-controlled part of the Golan Heights and we were literally a hundred yards from the border with Syria. Israel has been controlling the Golan Heights for 50 years since the 1967 war. And it was important for them to do that because if they hadn't, they would, you would have to deal with an Iranian backed Hezbollah backed occupation right across from the Sea of Galilee. Right across from the city of Tiberius. Okay? That is right right there. Imagine with Assad's forces or ISIS being that close to Israel. They are they are the only democracy in that region. So Trump declaring that it's been it's been called you know Israeli occupied territory, but they've controlled it, and thank God they have. You know, just last May there was an um Iranian-backed extremists, they launched 20 rockets into Israel from that part of the of of the Golan right on the other side of the Golan Heights. So I mean, people need to understand this. So what Trump did is really not that controversial. Some of the Arab countries, they don't like it. But I actually agree with Trump just declaring acknowledging that Trump that that I'm sorry, that the Golan Heights are controlled by Israel. That's right. Thank God. Thank God for that. <clears throat> to be honest. And the palace, this has nothing to do with the Palestinians. They don't even dispute that, that part of it. So, um, I just wanted to mention that cause it's, um, it's interesting. And Netanyahu was here and he's up for re-election. April 9th. I think he's in a tough re-election. He's in some trouble over there in Israel. But the number one issue in Israel is security and a full throated support by the president of the United States for, a candidate is probably a boost for Israel because they know they need they well they don't need but they it doesn't it doesn't hurt to have the United States support you a hundred percent. So <clears throat> I'm sure that that the timing of Netanyahu coming over here two weeks before his election wasn't by accident. Um Bill Clinton did something similar with Shimon Perez back in nineteen ninety six. He had him over here and met with him and supported him right before their elections too. So It matters. It matters in Israeli politics. But um, I support what they're doing to defend themselves. And I actually happen to agree with Trump's uh, policy thus far with Israel. You know, I will give him credit where credit is due. But a lot of other stuff is messed up and we didn't need Donald Trump to do these things. I will still stand by that. So without further ado, uh, oh, Michael Avenatti. I'm going to talk about this with Ellie a little bit. But this Avenatti stuff, you know, this guy before I talk to Ellie and then bring in Mimi. Uh, you know, what What a fall in a year. Last year, this Michael Avenatti was everywhere. I think he appeared on CNN and MSNBC 108 times in like a month. Nuts. I, he Listen, he represented Stormy Daniels. A lot of the Michael Cohen stuff turned out to be true, what he said was true, but then he overstepped and he got too big for his britches, as my grandmother used to say. And apparently he's a really bad guy and it's caught up with him. It's caught up with him. And as I was always taught, self-pride comes before a fall. He's been arrested by the Southern District of New York for extortion of Nike. And then he's got problems out in California too, where he's accused of basically stealing $1.6 million from a client. This is bad stuff. I, I don't know how he gets out of this, but oh well, Michael Avenatti. I knew something wasn't quite right with you when you were on The View and they put up the the, the picture of the <clears throat> of the, the per- potential person that attacked Stormy Daniels and they had like a 1-800 number find the perp. Like, come on, dude. Like, you took it too far. But I will admit it was fun to see him spar with Donald Trump. <laughs> that was fun, but clearly looks like he's a bad guy. And uh, the chickens are coming home to roost for that Avenatti. Well, now, without further ado... Um, I'd like to bring in my my legal minds and guests for this week's Honestly Speaking. Well, it has been a hell of a couple of days as far as the Mueller investigation is concerned. We finally have some semblance of an idea of what's in the Mueller report because the Attorney General. William Barr has released his summary of what's going on and his assessment of what the Mueller report says, but it's not the actual Mueller report. So I thought it was really important to have legal expert minds on the program because I'm not a lawyer. I probably should have been, but I chose not to become one. So I'd rather bring on people who know what they're talking about with law. And this week, I have two legal minds, actually. But first up is Ellie Honig. And Ellie is a former Southern District of New York prosecutor. He spent eight and a half years there he's currently the executive director for ruckers institute for secure communities and he's a cnn legal analyst so ellie welcome to honestly speaking with tara let's talk all things muller
1: Thank you for having me, Tara. I'm looking
0: forward to this. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, for those who don't know, Ellie is a is a fellow Jerseyite, okay? He's a Jerseyan like me. <laughs> but he's from South Jersey. I'm from North Jersey. But we'll get into that rivalry another time because we want to talk all
1: things smaller. <laughs> listen, listen, it's, it's all Philly teams for me. It's Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies. And I know oh, you don't feel the same.
0: God help you know because, of course, I'm from <laughs> North Jersey. So it's all Giants, Yankees, Knicks. Oh. <laughs> Oh, Long-suffering no. Knicks fans, but no, we can still we can still do this podcast. That's, That's right. Okay. That's okay. We're still friends. We're still friends. Yeah. Um, so Ellie, you know, we've the long-anticipated Mueller investigation is now over, and we do not have the full report. We have what the Attorney General's interpretations of that report are, and for a lot of us who uh, are looking at this, it's insufficient. You think so? Also, why?
1: Yeah. So remember back in high school when, when the teacher would assign you a book like Wuthering Heights or one of these long, <laughs> torturous things? and right. What would you do? I, I don't think kids do this anymore, but in our age, we would go to the bookstore, or the library, and look for that yellow and black striped little <laughs> cliff note, right?
0: Uh, speak um, for then, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know people who did that, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, of course, it was a very pale substitute for the actual book. And you completely missed the nuance and the detail and the meaning of it. Now, let me say this. I don't have any particular reason to believe Bill Barr intentionally fudged things or or was being sneaky in his summary, but anytime you're engaged in the exercise of summarizing something, you're going to leave out details. You're going to have to characterize things. And surely, if and when we ever get our hands on that Mueller report, and, and, and I think we ultimately will, or most of it, uh, every he has to know that every word he wrote in his four pager is going to be scrutinized against the report itself
0: of course and we initially people thought oh he just got this report on Friday he had 48 hours We don't know how long the actual Mueller report is it could be you know a thousand pages and he here right. he isn't you know summarizing it in four pages and 48 hours but CNN reported that apparently Mueller actually told Bob Barr, uh, Bill Barr, three weeks ago that he didn't come to the conclusion of obstruction. Um, so he had yeah. a little bit more time. Uh, for those who don't know, um, explain a little bit why we should be somewhat skeptical of Bill Barr's interpretation of obstruction of justice, given his history with this subject matter and the Trump administration.
1: Yeah, so, so Bill Barr, people may recall um, wrote what a lot of people think of as an audition memo. So it, it was 2018. Bill Barr, of course, had been Attorney General of the early 90s for George uh, H.W. Bush. Right. Uh, and and here we are a couple decades later, and unsolicited, William Barr writes this 20-page, single-spaced, rigorously researched, although I don't think uh, logically researched, but but a lot of sites in there, um, term paper, basically, that he sends into DOJ. And his position is the president can never obstruct justice by firing somebody or by essentially shutting down an investigation. Why? Because the president is the head of the executive branch. DOJ is part of the executive branch, so the president can do whatever he wants. Now, that is an extreme view, and I think the logic and and legal reasoning that Barrow used to get there was badly flawed.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Very Nixonian, by the way.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you you know that that document had to catch the president's eye. I mean, of course, the president knew about it. There may have been other reasons. But Barr has a lot of obvious qualifications, including the fact that he was the attorney general. But if any part of Trump's thinking in selecting Barr was, I like this view that he has of obstruction of justice. Well, <laughs> if that was the case, it just paid off. Right. Um, and I think as soon as Robert Mueller, and we should talk about this, as soon as Robert Mueller made the decision, which I'm. A little confused by mm-hmm. to not make any call on obstruction. Barr sort of picked it off. I don't think actually muller intended for Barr to take it, but Barr then essentially like intercepted it and like an Eli Manning call. And and,
0: sorry, that's okay. And, we I deserve uh, it. I deserve it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Two Super Bowls though. He,
1: he picked it off, and then he he once he had it in his hands, it was open. Right? Because we already knew where he stood. He has a very strong, very extreme view on obstruction of justice. And sure enough, he, he, he threw it out. Now, we don't know the exact reason he throws it out. When I say throw it out, I mean, Congress can still pick it up and investigate it. But right. A lot of the wind is out of that sail. Now, sure. Right? Um, but so I think one of the questions that needs to be determined is, did you, did you William Barr, uh, sort of dismiss the obstruction of justice case? because of your legal view that you put forth in that memo or because you carefully reviewed the evidence and think it's not enough for obstruction. And the latter is kind of hard for me to imagine as a former prosecutor. I mean, when you take all the things that Trump did openly, Correct. Um, I don't know how it's not obstruction to fire somebody in order to derail an investigation, to try to fire other people, or try to pressure Jeff Sessions into unrecusing himself and taking back control of the Russia case or, lashing out at Whitaker to try to get him to limit the Southern District. I mean, any one of those things seems really close to the line, if not over. And when you take them all together, I think there's some serious questions that need to be asked of uh, William Barr on that.
0: Oh, well, that that leads me to the other question that a lot of well, first, let's establish that um, the president was pretty much exonerated on the idea of collusion with the Russians. Um, yeah you know and and for those who don't know I mean the the word collusion makes a lot of my legal friends cringe because it's not an actual legal term can you define the definition between collusion and conspiracy and how high that that bar can necessarily be because to a lot of us laymen who were looking at this it sure as hell looked like there was a lot of colluding but maybe it wasn't conspiracy
1: yeah so collusion is is not a legal term that there's a sort of a uh, a far-flung application does not apply here in antitrust, but collusion is generally not a legal term. And I guess the beauty of it, is, from a PR standpoint, the Trump and his people, is it, it, the definition's flexible and it can change. And you could always, almost always, shout no collusion, and you can move, move the, the goalpost, so to speak. What is a crime is, and I will note. Barr doesn't actually use the phrase collusion. He says right. criminal conspiracy or coordination. So you would need an agreement between two or more people to break the law. And examples here where there might have been, had the facts been a little different, some sort of chargeable federal crime would be if someone was sort of directly involved in the hacking, right? That, that Hacking is a crime. Or one of the theories, it's a little bit of a stretch, is it is a federal crime to solicit or receive foreign election aid. So you can't take money from from – foreign nationals if you're running in a federal election. So the idea would be, well, things like emails or, or intel along those lines has some monetary value, mm-hmm. and it was offered, or they tried to get it, but they never really did. But even trying is technically a crime. But, right. but look, I, I understand the, the conclusion here. Um, I, I think we sort of started off with two solid pillars that everyone understood and that, that you can't deny. One is that Russia indisputably – hacked hillary and the dnc in an effort to help trump win the election and two is that trump and people around him liked that and encouraged it and welcomed it right that's trump uh, trump saying russia if you're listening and don jr saying if it is what you say right i
0: love it right yeah um
1: the question though is is there any connectivity between those and that was a question we legitimately did not know the answer to it and i was sort of eagerly anticipating mother's report to see is there one more missing link in there or not and i think we got a pretty definitive answer that there's not but remember throughout this throughout this whole summary and apparently muller's report they're using the criminal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt which Mm -hmm. is the highest standard in our law and and there can be plenty of things that a are not crimes and or b are are not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that could be bases for impeachment but i do think the, the political wind
0: is all but gone from that now from the from the collusion side of it yeah. And for, and Do you think from the from the obstruction side? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and that would explain why Democrats and Nancy Pelosi really backed off the full steam ahead mm-hmm. on impeachment stuff, especially during the midterms. And now with even the presidential candidates, I think that they knew they couldn't hang everything on the Mueller report. Um, and it's a good thing because this this certainly definitely certainly knocks the wind out of their sails. If they thought they were going to yep. impeach Trump, they need to just beat him now electorally.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a political analyst. Yeah, they, no, I know. Who knows? May, I am. Maybe politically. <laughs> it's that. No, yeah, I know. So I'll throw this out to you then. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit of a political wake up call to, to Democrats of you need to get off this, this train. It's not going anywhere. Yep. It, look, impeachment, historically speaking, how, how it, 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 maybe it sounds good, but it carries a political cost. I mean, Bill Clinton, you know, I've gotten to know Joe Lockhart, here is another contributor who was Bill Clinton's uh, press, press secretary, secretary and we mm-hmm. lived, lived through this. And he will tell you, and there's uh, uh, statistics out there that show that Clinton's popularity spiked. Oh, yeah. And he left office with
0: 60-plus of percent of the uh, approval yeah. rating after. Yep.
1: Yeah. And the approval for the impeachment was like in the 30s, just yeah. a couple weeks later. so. Look, Nancy Pelosi is far shrewder than I at politics, and I, I think she, she made that judgment. And there still could be consequences to, to Trump and to people around him, but I think the possibility of criminal charges for, for Trump were never really there anyway, um, and the possibility of impeachment based on collusion or obstruction, unless there's something in the Mueller report that has been badly mischaracterized by Barr, and I doubt it. He's a smart lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that ship has sailed
0: so then but does that mean that the congress should abscond their rightful duties to for uh, for oversight Um, Should not Barr or Mueller come up and talk about it? I think they should, because I think the American people should get an idea of the context of this. I use the example of, well, just because they didn't find, um, you know, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to convict criminally doesn't mean that you're completely innocent. And I use the example of O.J. Simpson and R. Kelly. (laughs) So couldn't that still be the case? Like, should the American people know how close maybe we came?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we need to be careful to to not mix apples and oranges here, and apples being the criminal system where we're talking mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt, and oranges being politics and Congress, um, where there is no defined standard and there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of sort of a lack of clarity about what is high crimes and misdemeanors and can it be something that's not a crime. But Congress absolutely needs to do its job. Um, there there are many things that need uh, oversight, and I think there's still questions that need to be answered about this. I, I, I do not think anyone should just say it's all it's over. I think we still need to learn a lot. We need to see the Mueller report, first of all. Right. And I think there's some questions that need to be asked about the decision-making here. And, and again, this, this gets the bar intercepting it. William Barr was, is not under the regulations. There is no role for William Barr in deciding thumbs up or thumbs down on a criminal, re- whether a, a criminal charge has been made out. Um, and Mueller, what's really curious to me is Mueller did, make a prosecutorial judgment on the collusion, according mm-hmm. to
2: Barr. Mm-hmm. Mueller
1: said, no good, not enough here, according to Barr. Yet when it came to obstruction, Mueller said, I'm not going to make a prosecutorial judgment, which is so strange to me. And yes, that's why on why make a judgment on A but not on B. And, right. and the answer is he must have been leaving it for somebody else. And I, I look, the whole reason you have a special counsel is to get someone outside of the chain of command, someone who does not report to the president, to pass judgment on the president, and Barr kind of said, "I don't care. I'm taking this and saying it's no good." And I think the more logical inference is that Barr intended to send this over to Congress and say, "Congress, here's my fact."
0: You mean Mueller it's close
1: to the line criminally, but you all are going to make your political judgment, and that's not for me to say.
0: Right. I think you meant Mueller meant to send one meant for it to oh, go to Congress. Yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah and in in Barr's uh, letter, he says that. Um, He said the report sets out evidence on both sides of the question and leaves unresolved with the special counsel views as, quote, difficult issues of law and fact concerning whether the president's actions and intent could be viewed as obstruction. That well, what were those difficult issues, right? What what was right. the evidence on the other side? Because we're only getting it from Barr side of uh, side of it. We're not hearing yet what Mueller's other yeah. side was like. Well, what were the two things that he was weighing? Obviously, there seemed to be equal weight to both. Um, and then here's the key line that. Democrats and, and those of us who are not spiking the football, saying it's over, this was a witch hunt. Um, it says the special counsel states that while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. This just seems like it, it just kind of stood out to me as being incongruent with everything else. If If Mueller wanted to exonerate the president on that aspect also, like he did with collusion, why didn't he just do it on the obstruction side?
1: No, you're exactly right. He, he did it for one part and, and not the other. And I think that that tells you that absolutely logically tells you something. You know, William Barr ha- has a lot of conservative sort of credentials. And I mean that ideologically. Right. But in terms of the way he conducted himself here, it's anything but lowercase c conservative. He took a really activist, sort of uh, aggressive, uh, aggrandized view of his own role as attorney general in this case. And and he said, I'm going to step in here and I'm going to make a criminal a a, a criminal prosecution style judgment he could have issued he could have issued the exact letter he did and just taken out that part where he said i took over those two sentences and said i took over and here's my view and absolutely done his job and his job would have been to transmit i believe muller's findings over to congress and let let congress be congress Mm
0: -hmm. without
1: sort of putting a thumb on the scale
0: so um in, in, in your experience uh, as a, as a former prosecutor for the Southern District of New York, uh, moving looking looking ahead, how much criminal exposure do you think Trump still has with the Southern District? Given given the fact that there was yep. really no emphasis on potential financial crimes, which I which was not in Mueller's purview per se, um, yep. you know the Southern District's been kind of busy lately. That's where Michael Cohen was yep. prosecuted. What what do you think, in your estimation, given your experience there?
1: So there's no way the Southern District is going to indict Donald Trump while he's in office. That's a longstanding DOJ policy. It goes back. I think some people think that that's a new policy that this administration adopted. It was adopted in 1973. It was updated in 2000. So right. it's been in place for decades through, through administrations of both parties.
0: But Here it's a policy, not a law, you. just so people know exactly. that it's, a, it's, it's not, not a law. in law. it's not, you know, codified in statute. Yep.
1: But the problem is when, he, when is anyone going to change it? Right. right? When right. is some, when is some AG going to go in there and say, I hereby change it? But you're right. <laughs>
0: Definitely not it, this uh, administration.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, so, look, it's not in the Constitution. It's not in law. It's not in statute. It's not in any judicial decision. But it is the policy, and it's not going to change, certainly not in the next two years. So and the Southern D- District is famously independent, and but, but they're not going to outright defy a, a DOJ policy. And to be clear, Southern District is part of the Department of Justice. Right. So what could they do? A, they certainly could indict the president when he's out of office. It's going to be much easier if that's 2021 versus 2025, because Mm -hmm. when you get to 2025, you're going to have statute of limitations problems. There may be a way around that, but it's much easier. And also, by the time 2025 comes around, it it could just be a sense of – and you do think about this as a prosecutor. Just these crimes are ancient by 2025. Sure. Um, But they also could expose serious criminal wrongdoing. Um, by the president that could give Congress enough of a push to to reconsider or to consider impeachment, right? If they find that the president was directly involved in massive financial fraud, I think Congress has to take a hard look at what they do. And and the the last thing that a Southern district could do is indict a lot of people in and around the Trump org and the inauguration. And Mm -hmm. what what I've said all along is I think there's a much higher probability that some big names Get indicted by the Southern District, but I don't think those indictments will carry as nearly as much political punch as anything Mueller was doing would have done.
0: Were you surprised that Don Jr. Jared Kushner, um, th- those two weren't caught up in this at all? I, I was surprised. Don Jr. Jun-
1: yeah, Don Jr. Yes, Jared Kushner. No, because they, they, the Special Counsel interviewed Jared Kushner, right? Um, and so that suggests to me he was more. They viewed him as more along the lines of a witness. Uh, or per- perhaps the subject, which is a slightly higher on the culpability scale. But Don Jr. They never talked to. Yeah. And there's only there's only two explanations for that. Neither of which makes sense now. <laughs> One is they they didn't think he was a witness. They didn't think he knew anything. That's impossible. They interviewed hundreds of witnesses. Right. And Don Jr. Is right in the middle. Two is they see him as a target, and traditionally a target means someone who you have a lot of evidence on, and you you think is likely to be indicted, and typically. Prosecutors do not approach a target. Look at Roger Stone. He was a target from day one. They never approached him. They never subpoenaed him. Yep. They never asked him for an interview. They just indicted him and arrested him. And it looked like Donald Trump Jr. was in that category. And now, clearly, I mean, 100% Mueller's, Mueller is not going to indict him. I, I think the Southern District will be looking at him for whatever role he played in the Trump org in the inauguration. But mm-hmm. um, look, it was a lot of good news for Don Jr.
0: Yeah. Uh, a yeah. lot of good news for, for Donald Trump right now um i i don't think that they he you know i don't know how long that's going to last but for it it is certainly good news a breath uh, you know everyone's breathing a little easier over there um pennsylvania avenue because i i mean i think even they didn't know where this was going to (laughs) go because it's you never know with donald trump i mean you never know he's not a good guy so you know it could have been it could have gone either way um uh,
1: yeah and let me me just say this It, it it is. there are a few things in life that are as stressful as being under criminal investigation, whether you did it or not. Right. I mean, uh, aside from serious illness and and sort of grave life and death, death type things, it is incredibly stressful to be under investigation, sure. especially by Robert Mueller. So right. there's got to be a, a major sense of relief over there. But they're not out of the woods yet. But look, it's, a, it's an enormous hurdle cleared.
0: Well, I, it would be remiss of me not to ask you, since you, you are a former Southern yeah. District guy, I know you heard about Michael Avenatti getting arrested yeah. today by your old uh, your old office over there. Have you ever yeah. met him, dealt with him at all? And um, no. is he in for a world of hurt or what? <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I've never met him. I don't know him. But the the thing is, I was just talking about this with another one of our legal analysts, Joey Jackson, upstairs. You know, one of stuff. my favorite. And, <laughs> and and we kind of agreed. I think he's in more trouble in California. Um, he's he was he's been charged twice today in two different districts.
0: Oh, I missed that. Oh case, my god.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Southern District case charges him with extortion. Basically, he went to Nike. Footnote: When you extort someone, don't make it Nike. They're right. pretty well funded. Right. Right. Um, and he basically said, I have this client who you guys ripped off, and if you don't pay him and me an exorbitant amount of money, I'll, you know, use all sorts of colorful language, but mm-hmm. I'll totally destroy your company. But he's got a defense there. He's got a little bit of a – because he'll say, this is hardball legal and business tactics. And, yeah, I used that language, and, yeah, I was super aggressive, and, yeah, I demanded a lot of money. Welcome to the real world of lawyers in New York City. Like right. that's not extortion, right? Um, now, there's other things that yeah, he crossed some of the legal lines. Um, the way well, obviously, I mean, pressure. Southern District wouldn't yeah.
0: have they wouldn't have arrested him if they didn't have a pretty rock exactly. solid case against him.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the, the conviction right there is high ninety percent. Right. Um, but in California, he was charged with two things. One, he straight up stole one point six million dollars from one of his clients. The client <laughs> got a settlement. Avenatti pocketed it basically, and they wow. kept lying to the client about when it was due, and mm. then gave the client a little piece of it. So he, he's I don't know what how he defends that. And the other thing is. Really, a garden variety bank fraud. He did what a lot of these guys who are sort of live in the high life. It actually reminds me a little bit of Paul Manafort, like these guys with incredibly expensive lifestyles who can't really maintain it. Yeah. And he, like Manafort, he's alleged to have gone to banks, vastly overinflated the value of his assets to get it's over four million dollars worth of loans that he was not entitled to. Unbelievable. So I don't know how he's going to beat those cases. If I, if I'm him, I'm. I'm <laughs> I don't say this often, but I think Southern District actually poses less of a threat yeah. than California. <laughs>
0: how, about, how about that? Lesson there, don't live beyond your means and stop exactly. trying to be something that you aren't. I mean, it will yep. karma is a bitch and it will ca- catch up to you. Um, <laughs> in, in the last 30 seconds, uh, do you watch yep. Billions? No, but, I, oh but I'll gosh. give you a quick
1: Billions story. Can I give you a quick billion yeah. Billion story? Yeah, it's a watch. great
0: show, Ellie. You have to watch it. So...
1: When they started filming Billions, right after I left Southern District of New York, but the actor Paul Giamatti and Koppelman, who I think is the uh, is the uh, producer, yeah. all these guys were in the Southern District of New York, and they spent a week like following, of, pre- of Arnold, course, yeah. Up, another CNN colleague who was my former boss, and just to see what life was really like, and then apparently. I haven't seen it, but the first episode comes on, and Paul Giamatti, who's playing the U.S. Attorney, which is Preet's job, right. apparently has some odd sexual pre- yes. predilections. Yes, he does. And, He's know, into the joke bondage. In the office was like, yeah, the joke in the office was like, Preet, you didn't have to take these guys everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's hilarious. And I hope to get Preet on, on the podcast, and I'm going to embarrass the hell out of him with that anecdote, courtesy of Ellie Honig. Ellie, He's thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And keep up the great work on CNN. I'm, this is far from over. I'm sure we'll talk again.
2: Thanks for having me, Kyle. I'll see you around. Thanks
0: so much. So, as I said, I wanted to bring legal experts and brilliant legal minds on to Honestly Speaking to talk about everything that's been going on with, with the Mueller report, and the investigation, and the Attorney General summary. And I... Couldn't think of anybody else better than to bring on from the Southern District of New York, uh, who Mimi Roca, who spent 16 years there. Now, I did have Ellie Honig on. He only spent eight, but Mimi was there for <laughs> 16 years. So she has a little bit more institutional knowledge. And plus, um, she is a Pace Law Distinguished Fellow in Criminal Justice and an MSNBC legal analyst. So I bring balance. To, we had a CNN. Now we've got an MSNBC. We bring balance here on, <laughs> on Honestly Speaking. So Mimi, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Honestly speaking, with Tara, thanks so much for having me. So, Mimi, you've been very outspoken about um, about the Mueller investigation, about the bar um, role in this. Um, what were your takeaways from the the bar summary, and what do you think the next step should be?
2: Um, so, I think that. Um, my, my main takeaway from the bar summary is that it is a similar report. Right. Um, and so, you know, people, um, certain media outlets and, and in general, I think the public, the mood uh, one way or the other, whether it be uh, happy or glum. Uh, the mood has been, we've seen the Mueller report and this is what it says. And and that is very far from the truth. And so I think the first thing that people really need to do is just take a step back and understand that we do not have a complete picture yet. Now, we do know some things. And I, I think actually, you know, Barr's letter is short, but and it, it is uh, not, it's Obviously, the full Mueller report, as I said, but it does quote from the Mueller report in a couple of places, although interestingly, not in full sentences, except for one. And the full sentence, the one full sentence that he does um, quote from the Mueller report is that the Mueller report, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but he quotes it in full, the, the Mueller report does not... Uh, implicate the president in crime or exonerate him right i have it actually Um, says it says
0: while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime it also does not exonerate him
2: exactly right and so you know really both sides if you will and i I hate to think of this in terms of sides but there are obviously Mm -hmm. the the american public should, should just realize that really you know there there's there's just facts on both sides and and in fact Barr says that. he He says, as to obstruction, that Mueller found facts, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but he found facts supporting an obstruction charge right. and 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 that there were issues, complicated issues of law and facts that allowed you know, prevented Mueller from reaching a conclusion. So those are things that are just being ignored in this, but those are the actual, portions where he actually quotes from Mueller. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, the conclusion that it is not obstruction of justice uh, under the law, that it is not the crime of obstruction of justice here, that is Barr's judgment and conclusion. So you know all of this is sort of getting blended together, but I think those are really important distinctions to make. And the reason they're important is because well first of all on the obstruction piece, it is a very fact Specific and judgment determination to make. And it was close enough to the line that Bob Mueller, who has, you know, was a prosecutor and an agent and uh, head of the FBI, you know, for, for decades, and the person who conducted this investigation, that he did not feel comfortable making that decision. Now, people can question whether he should or shouldn't have, but the fact of the matter is. He's not somebody who's shy about making decisions, and yet here it was—it was complicated enough that he didn't. So why is Bill Barr the appropriate person to come in and do that when the whole point of the special counsel is to take the politics Mm -hmm. out of it in terms of the judiciary, uh, the Justice Department?
0: Yeah, Ellie. Um, Ellie was like, you know, Bob. uh, Bob Mueller has had no problem making definitive decisions throughout his career. Why did he punt on this? And until we see the entire report, that question remains unanswered. Which leads me to exactly. believe, which I, I think you probably agree with, that since th- since there were, were, quote, difficult issues of law and fact on both sides of this for Mueller, that we're only getting one side of this from Barr because he's injecting his political bias because he answers to the president. And we're not hearing the other side of that. There's clearly another side equally as important as the side that Barr is presenting. So, you know, w- we need to see that. And it looks to me like um, Senator Graham came out and said that he spoke to the attorney general and that he welcomes the opportunity to come up and he'll he'll testify, no problem. But um, don't you think Bob Mueller should be included in that also?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think someone could strategically debate, you know, w- what makes sense. Who would make sense to have testify first? Although I think it would be interesting to have them testify at the same time. Yeah, right. <laughs> that probably won't happen. <laughs> um, that
0: would be but, appointment you know, television for
2: sure. <laughs> that would be yeah. But um, then again, I don't know the, the legal ease that might time.
0: the legal ease that might come out of both of them may bore all of the non lawyers to sleep. But...
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But go ahead. Um, ca- limited audience, but but absolutely. I mean, we need to hear. From both of them, we need to we need to see the report. I don't think Mueller should testify until at least the you know the majority of the report that he uh, spent years creating. You know is is um, at least in the hands of the people who will be asking the questions. Right? Because they need to know what they're asking about. I mean, we, we uh, you know you, you don't want to start from scratch. I think that would be a waste of time. I think having the report and using it as a way to to ask questions. Um, Would be very valuable, and and in my opinion, having Mueller testify first, I think, would make sense because then the the questions to Barr afterwards are, you know, about why he made other decisions, or um, you know, sort of, I mean, even sequentially, that that's just what happened here, and we want to understand that. So, but but I think arguments can be made as to sort of why you would want to have Barr testify first as well. But absolutely, I think we need we need to see as much of the report as possible. Meaning, I understand that there's going to be classified information, and that information is important, though, right? I mean, it's, right. it's one of the issues. I mean, we didn't even talk about that section of the letter, but even on the Russian interference section, now that is more um, conclusive. It is more of a representation. Uh, than the obstruction section about what Mueller actually found. But even that, it's limited. It, it quotes partial sentences, not full ones. And it does say that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government. Right. That's a very specific sentence. First of all, I don't know what did not establish means. It certainly doesn't mean what everybody's saying necessarily, which is no, there was no collusion. No. That is not what that says. And so we need to understand, well, what's the gap between no collusion and quote, did not establish, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a pretty big gap. And, And again, the facts are what's going to be important there. And also it specifically talks about the Russian government. Well, what about WikiLeaks? What about Russian oligarchs? Who is included in that definition? And this isn't just semantics. I mean, we know from Two years of, of hearing about this but those were important interactions that I think we at a minimum need to understand if we're going to under be able to understand whether Trump in some way is compromised
0: right um, and, and, and just and, and
2: also how the Russians are doing this.
0: correct and I think it's important for the American people to know how close um they came and what those what those interactions were what was the context i i've said this many times context matters especially in this instance and um the, there's been points made by other legal analysts that just because you were found there wasn't enough criminal uh, insufficient evidence to charge a crime doesn't mean that there was no evidence whatsoever and I think in a political exactly. context, that's important for people to know, you know, well, what was it? Maybe it wasn't quite criminal, but obviously something was going on here. Everybody didn't lie and cover up all these interactions and all these things for no reason.
2: That's right. I mean, I, I heard someone on Fox News today say, um, I mean, it was a, a Republican senator. I, I don't know which one <laughs> right now, but um, he said that Mueller found that there was no evidence of collusion. And that's just a, not a correct statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I guess, could be true, although even the phrasing here that's quoted by Barr does not seem to say, you know, I think he would have quoted that if that were the statement. But um, but we, we don't know what Mueller found. We only know that he didn't, he found that, that the investigation did not establish, you know, certain acts mm-hmm. um, and that there was not a criminal act to be charged. But that, as you say, that's very different. And, and the details... It's not in details. The facts matter here, not just the conclusions. I think that's really what we're talking about.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the people who are making the argument, um, like Giuliani and Secolo and some of those others, who are arguing that there couldn't be an obstruction of justice without an underlying crime? I think there is some argument about whether that's true or not. Can you just explain, in layman's terms, what that argument is?
2: Sure. And, hey, you know... First of all, to be clear, I don't even think that that's what Bill Barr was saying. I don't think he was saying you couldn't have it. In fact, he made right. a point in the letter to say that it's not dispositive, but it, it to him, I guess it went to the idea of Trump's intent, um, which uh, you know, I understand is somewhat relevant, but it is absolutely false to say um, to the extent – People are now saying that, like Giuliani or Sekla, or anyone is interpreting Barr's comments as saying that you could not have obstruction without the underlying crime. In fact, there have been high-profile and low-profile prosecutions that happen frequently when people are um, charged with the obstruction crime, even if the underlying crime is not charged, and they are found guilty. Martha Stewart, um, that was false statements, not obstruction, but it's the same idea. Mm -hmm. Libby. Um, was charged with obstruction and not the underlying crime. And and it, I mean, I know it just from non high profile cases that it happens frequently. And it makes sense because as a as a public policy matter, you, you don't want to limit obstruction crimes to the only time you can prove the underlying crime, because, of course, Otherwise, it would incentivize people to really obstruct, because if you can really obstruct and prevent them from proving the underlying crime, well, then you could never also prove obstruction.
0: Right. That's a great point. It's
2: an important separate crime in and of itself. So so it happens, and it wouldn't make sense any other way. I think what Barr is saying is that, you know, because obstruction is such an intense, specific crime, well, Donald Trump couldn't possibly have been, in my judgment, Bill Barr, my judgment— uh, been trying to obstruct an investigation because there, you know, there was no underlying crime. So why would he try to obstruct it? And, you know, I guess sometimes that's true, but not always. And I find that particularly a puzzling conclusion here and very, very um, sort of uh, subjective, it, it, you know, it's, it's one person's opinion Yeah. Um, when when Trump was not even interviewed and and asked those questions now I, we know there were written questions but again we don't know the answers to those right. and there's sort of the fact that they don't want those to come out is is i think telling
0: which is what i was going to ask you next um as we wrap up um that you were you've made the point that written responses are worthless (laughs) um and in this case it's you know because basically it's being authored by the lawyers it's not the person in in person giving testimony the way bill clinton was forced to do Uh, why do you think Mueller accepted Uh, Trump's written questions and didn't go as far as subpoenaing uh, Trump and go as far as as they did during even the Clinton impeachment um, Well, before that. But when they forced Bill Clinton to give that interview, why do you think Mueller was okay with that, given the importance of what was going on here?
2: So you know, look, I I guess the short answer to that is I don't know. And I would like to know. In other words, I think that that is also something that the American public deserves to know, because I think in an investigation like this, you know, a prosecutor, certainly if they were going to conclude that someone didn't obstruct justice, they would they would want to um, have had that interview. Um, And, you know, I think that the fact that he didn't could be could be that in his prosecutorial discretion, he didn't think it was that much more important than the written answers. Or it could be that he got resistance to doing so. And and there's already been some reporting that's come out about there was discussion about it. And ultimately, he decided not Mueller decided, you know, not to pursue um, a subpoena. I think that's the reporting, I mean, it's pretty new, and I think I think we're going to learn more about it. But mm-hmm. but I think those are important things to know. Was Trump treated differently because he's the president? And I there pro- there are arguments, I suppose, as to why that that should be the case. But we need to understand that because it seems to me that he was not treated like any other. Subject here, right? Um, and for that matter, I'd like to know why participants in the Trump Tower meeting weren't interviewed, like Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. And maybe Mueller was able to determine early on, without those interviews, that there was nothing possibly criminal about that meeting. Um, Maybe. But but even from a counterintelligence point of view, I mean, it's puzzling to me that those interviews didn't take place also. I still have a lot of faith in Bob Mueller as a man of integrity, a a, a investigator of integrity, a prosecutor. Um, So, you know, again, I, I have always said and I still believe that whatever Mueller's findings and conclusions were, even if they didn't sort of fit with what I thought had happened, Um, I would accept them, because he's the one doing the investigation. I think he can be objective and and have integrity. But I still haven't heard what Bob Mueller found. I've only heard what Bill Barr says, in part, Bob Mueller found, and that's not enough.
0: That's right. And uh, you made the point that either Barr will be the people's lawyer or the president's lawyer. So far, what do you think?
2: I think, you know, based on this letter alone, he's acting certainly like... A president's lawyer. In other words, <laughs> it may not be as much about Donald Trump as it is about his view of the presidency and the protection, the broad powers that 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 the president should have. And that's something he laid out in a letter ahead of time. So I guess we knew it. Um, I think some people thought that that, you know, he might put that aside and be objective once he all the facts. Um, I'm sure he would say he is, but I, I don't think we can take that at face value, given where he started.
0: That's right. In the last 30 seconds, I know you have to run and teach a class. Um, 16 years with the Southern District of New York, it's become rather famous now. And also for those of us who watch the show Billions, do you watch Billions? <laughs> and how accurate is that depiction of the Southern District of New York?
2: To be honest, I have not watched Billions since the first season. But oh, I'm feeling like maybe I need to catch up. You need up. to. It's
0: um, so good. I,
2: well, it's funny because I always ask, um, you know, people in the media business, well, did you watch broadcast news? And they say, oh, no, that was so unrealistic. Right. And I said, oh, I love that show. I think <laughs> it's sort of the same thing to me. Billions, I mean, there are aspects of it that are familiar, but um, I think it, I don't think it paints the prosecutors in a particularly um, good light, uh, at least the light that I like to, you know, that I remember it as, as sort of. Pursuing truth and not out to get someone. <laughs> well, um, it's, but it, I understand it, it makes for good TV. It does, <laughs> and great
0: writing. And I think if you watch the second season, you'll have a different view of that because it shows a balance. Okay. It shows a little bit of a balance. I mean, it's cutthroat as hell, a more of a but balance. there's a little more of right, balance there. So I had, I had mind. to ask, as someone who actually worked there, you know, and as a casual right, right. viewer, well, is it real or is it not? But it's uh, so it's really good. <laughs> and for people who don't know, you know, you you weren't just like you know one of those attorneys that you know pushed paper i mean you were involved in the organized crime racketeering and the narcotics section so you were pretty kick-ass and so listen to what (laughs) mimi roca has to say which is why i wanted to have her on the show mimi thank you so much go teach your class i appreciate having you on honestly speaking i hope to have you back again thanks so much tara great to talk to you thank you so much That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Big thank you to my guests, Ellie Honig and Mimi Roca. You can follow them both on Twitter. And I really appreciate their bringing their legal expertise to everything. So be sure to follow me on Twitter at Honestly underscore Tara. That is the podcast Twitter or at my personal Twitter at Tara Setmayer, or you can follow me on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. Stay tuned for next week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Thank you so much for listening.